thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Well, tonight, not only do we want to set apart some of our leaders, uh, celebrate some uh, length of service in this morning's congregation, but we also want to continue uh, our series entitled As Family We Go, which is a series where we're looking at what it means for us to be the church, what it means for us to be the people of God, and not just kind of die me a Baptist church, but kind of more broadly to be the people of God. And we've chosen to look at the image of the family. There are lots of images that the Bible uses to describe the people of God, a vineyard, a flock, the bride, uh, the body, which we just heard there as well. But the dominant image that's used throughout the Old Testament is that of family. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the sort of family that we are, because we're obviously not related by blood. We have actually been called into this family through the work of Jesus. Uh, And so God has called us graciously to become not only his sons and daughters, but brothers and sisters with one another. Uh, On top of that, we have become, as Abraham was, the inheritors of the promises of God, the promises to bring restoration and renewal to all things. And we have been invited to participate in his grand purpose, which is exactly that, to restore everything in Christ, to make everything right, uh, to bring about the, the kind of the perfect conditions again, when there is no more sorrow and no more tears and no more death and no more dying, the great promises that we find in the book of Revelation. And this grand purpose that we've been invited to participate in is utterly beyond us, isn't it? Uh, We can hardly bring any significant change to our own lives, let alone bring change to the world. You don't have to look very far in our own lives or in our neighborhood or our nation or the world to see problems that are probably too big for us to fix in our own strength or in our own wisdom. And so it's really critical for us to understand that when God invites us to participate, he also then gives us the resources we need to participate. It's kind of like uh, if you've uh, ever borrowed your parents' car. You say, can I borrow the car? And they say, sure. And they throw you the keys and it happens to be full of petrol. And uh, just before you go out, they slip you a $50 note. That's the kind of resourcing that God our Father does. He gives us the keys to the car, it's full of petrol, and he slips us a 50 as we go out. I'm not sure if you've ever received like a gift voucher, the restaurant voucher, you know, an opportunity to go out on a date with, uh, you know, your wife or your, your, your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever. It's this wonderful bill that's already been paid, and you can just go and enjoy a wonderful meal that you might not normally have because someone else has actually already resourced it. Or it might be a little bit like this next picture, possibly. Yeah, I got to play hockey last year. 
You might think, and how in the world does that have anything to do with this, apart from just some shameless attempt to put hockey into the sermon? Well, here's the deal. My brother, who's next to me here, he's the bald guy, uh, my brother actually paid my registration fees. He paid the registration fees for the entire hockey season, even though I was only going to be there for three weeks. I played two games. He also gathered all of the hockey equipment for me so that I could participate while I was there. This is what God our Father does. He actually pays the rego fee and gets all the equipment and says, play. We've been invited to participate in the great plan of God, to do the wonderful things that God has called us to, and he has resourced us. A full tank of petrol, rego paid, it's all there for us. And so we need to understand what this means for us to be properly resourced. And the resource is primarily the person of the Holy Spirit. To say that God resources us, and to use those examples, I mean, they're flawed at lots of levels, but we, when we're talking about the resourcing of God, it's not actually, you know, money or petrol or registration fees. The resourcing that we have comes from the person of the Holy Spirit. As we sang just a few minutes ago, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And all the way through the Bible, the Holy Spirit is closely associated with the work of God and the power of God. And the Holy Spirit does a couple of things in our lives. On the one hand, the Holy Spirit brings out in us the family resemblance. You know how families work, biological families that is. You know, babies are born and you kind of pull out pictures of mom and dad when they were little and you look and kind of go, oh, it looks just like dad or it looks just like mom or it looks like grandma or it looks like grandpa or it looks like Uncle Bob or whatever it might be. There are these family resemblances. Sisters and brothers tend to kind of look the same. You look at people and you kind of go, you look like so-and-so's sister. And they go, well, I am. And off you go. The Holy Spirit makes us look like one another. Not because we're all supposed to look the same or talk the same, but because all of us, every one of us, is being made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, to make us like Jesus, to make us holy. And the idea of being holy in the Bible means to be set apart for a purpose. To be holy doesn't mean you're perfect or uh, saint-like or those sorts of things. To be holy means that you're set apart for a purpose. We have been set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, we want to talk this, this evening a little bit about spiritual gifts, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And I want to talk about them in relationship to the family of God. And that might make perfect sense, given what I've said so far. But when you read the, the lists of gifts that are found in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 11 and 12, uh, in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, uh, and 1 Peter 4, I believe, when you have a look at those lists, they always talk about gifts in relationship to the body, right? And the emphasis for the authors of the New Testament when they talk about spiritual gifts in the body is the fact that while we're all diverse, we are one. Right, so there's different parts of the body. Some are uh, obvious and external. You can see them working. You know, my arms do the heavy lifting, so to speak, and you can see them. But my heart, which you can't see, also does some pretty heavy lifting. Then there are some bits of the body that don't seem to do really critical things, but are nonetheless important to the functioning of the body. Some that you see, some that you don't. And Paul says all of us have been given different gifts, but we're all one. That's the emphasis. When we take the language, though, of the spiritual gifts and apply them to the language of family, though, it moves away from the question of unity to the question of responsibility. Responsibility 
in the family of God. So, many of you probably have chores at home. You have chores at home because you are theoretically part of the family, right? You are a responsible member of the family, and as a responsible member of the family, you need to vacuum your room or take out the recycling or whatever it might be. That's the deal. I've never said to my kids, you need to take out the recycling because we're one. I've never said you need to take out the recycling because, well, you have a gift of recycling, right? That's not the way it works. The language is simply of responsibility. Do your part for the family, whatever that part might be. And gifting and, and, and unity kind of doesn't come into it much at all. So that's the important kind of first thing. I want to kind of touch on that a few times. But let me also remind you of something I said a couple of weeks ago, and that is that we are meant to be conduits of God's blessing, not dispensers. Here's the difference. A conduit is an open tube, open at both ends. You pour stuff in one end, all of that stuff comes out the other. A dispenser is also possibly a tube, but it has a valve or a gate or something in it that stops everything poured in and only dispenses it when it wants and for how long it wants. We are not dispensers of God's blessing. We are not the ones who store it all up and then decide who gets it and how much and when. We are meant to be conduits of God's blessing. He pours into us and it's meant to pour out to other people. And so when we talk about spiritual gifts, I want to talk about it in the light of responsibility and about being conduits. Because I think it's very easy for us to misunderstand spiritual gifts. If you've been around our church for a while, you know that we don't actually use spiritual gift surveys because I don't like them. And I don't like them because while they're helpful at one level and they can be useful in certain contexts and they're certainly well-intentioned, they often end up focusing our attention on ourselves. And in our narcissistic society, the last thing we need is any help focusing on ourselves. We're pretty good at that without a survey. And here's, and here's what ends up happening. We end up focusing on our experiences, on the things we're good at, on the things perhaps we're not good at, and we end up talking about what is my spiritual gift, or possibly what are my spiritual gifts, if we're particularly gifted individuals. And I think this misunderstands a couple of really important things about spiritual gifts. The first of them is, is quite simple, that the gift that is given to us is not meant for us, but is meant for other people, right? Think about it. Who receives the gift of hospitality? Well, it's not the person who sits in their home and makes a lovely dinner. The person who receives the gift of hospitality is the person who is warmly welcomed into your home and is, shares a lovely meal with you and your family, right? If you say that you have the gift of hospitality and you never invite anyone to your house, you don't have the gift of hospitality. If you have the gift of teaching, who, who receives the gift? Well, it's not the person teaching, it's the people who learn stuff. If you have the gift of serving, who receives the gift? Well, it's not the person who serves, it's the person who is served. The person who receives mercy, not the one who has or shows mercy. And on and on and on it goes. The spiritual gifts were always for the benefit of the body of Christ, for the family of God. They're not actually about us. It's not a question of what is my spiritual gift, which is a dispenser question. What's my spiritual gift that I can then kind of dispense in various places and various locations to various people? 
The question is, how, do I, how can I be a conduit of the blessing of God? And it also then, secondly, forgets that the gifts that we're talking about are spiritual gifts. They're gifts that are somehow made miraculous by the invasion and involvement of the Holy Spirit. I think this is the difference between a talent or an ability and a gift. So Larissa played piano for us, who's playing the keys. Now, I'm assuming she's played before, right? Although I don't doubt the power and ability of God to take someone like myself who's never played and stand behind the piano, and I could play something through the power of God, I'm sure of it. I don't want to cap God's power. But generally speaking, that's an ability that you start learning. You have lessons, you do scales, you learn and learn and learn and learn, and eventually you begin to play. But when someone plays the keys and leads us in worship, and the Holy Spirit is involved, and we are built up and reminded of what God has called us to, then suddenly that talent, that ability, that experience and practice has become a gift by the involvement of the Holy Spirit. So you might have wonderful skills and abilities, but when you only use them for yourself, or you use them in contexts where the Holy Spirit is not involved, then it's just a talent or an ability. But as soon as you use that, and the Spirit applies that to build up the family of God, it becomes a gift. Because it's a spiritual thing. And it also really has implications for how we understand our strengths and weaknesses. Let me put it this way. Some of you have heard me say this before, but bear with me. We often think about what we're good at and what we're bad at in certain ways. So we might think about it from a scale of 1 to 100, right? So think about something you're really good at. And you might kind of give yourself a, I don't know, an 80, right? I'm an 80 out of 100 in, I don't know, strategic thinking or something, right? I'm brilliant at it. It's fantastic. And I sit down and talk with you, and you said you, you know, to me, well, yeah, I'm pretty good too. I'd probably say I'm an 85, and I think to myself, wow, you know, if you and I get together and we both think strategically, we have like doubled our ability. Like, how good is that? It was like 165. Like, that's, that's more than 100. That's amazing. Likewise, we talk about our weaknesses. And I say, well, there's some stuff I'm not very good at. Uh, and I'd probably say, like, on a good day, like I'm a 12. Right? And you kind of go, geez, the gap between a 12 and an 80, that's, that's a big gap. It's a really big gap. And you say, yeah, I'm not very good at that either. I'm like an eight. We think, oh my goodness, only 20. We, that's, we should never do that. And then we apply that to what God calls us to do. And we say to God, listen, uh, I've got some great strengths. I've got some wonderful strengths, but you don't want to use me in my areas of weakness because man, they're, they're <laughs> you just don't want to go there. It's like a 12. <laughs> that's no good. And what we forget is that we are applying our human standards to God. Do you think God has abilities that he ranks on a scale of 1 to 100? Like, let's be fair. 1,000? 10,000? 100,000? 100 million? I don't want to risk capping in God, but let's say for the sake of the illustration that it's 100 billion. Right? So God's ability, for instance, to think strategically out of 100 billion is probably bigger than 75. Hmm? And when I take my 75 and I add it to God's 100 billion, how much of a difference does that make? Almost nothing. It's like weighing an elephant and putting a feather on top and saying, whoa, look out. <laughs> but here's the thing. If I put my weakness on top of God's strength, 
What difference does it make? God's ability to, to complete his purposes are not inhibited by our weaknesses or particularly helped by our strengths. In fact, from God's perspective, I'm not sure he can tell the difference between my strengths and my weaknesses. From the perspective of 100 billion, what's the difference of 60? Whatever. God doesn't care if I'm strong in something, whether I'm experienced and capable, or whether I have absolutely no idea, because it's not about me. It's about his power. And his power will be made perfect in both my weakness, but also in my strength. I I don't add anything substantial to God's ability to fulfill his purposes. God isn't in heaven saying, wow, I'm sure glad I got Mark Rader on my side. We'd be lost without him. Please. And nor is God up in heaven saying, geez, I hope Mark doesn't try that thing he's weak at because that'll be a disaster. I don't think I can fix that if he tries it. God's not worried. If I take a stumbling attempt to serve him in some way in an area of weakness, God will turn that to his purposes in his great strength. And if I use whatever strength I have, God will still use that paltry little effort for his purposes as well. You see, what Paul says in chapter 12 of Romans in the first few verses is he reminds us of the importance of service and then says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought but think of yourselves with sober judgment. And every time we focus on our strengths or our weaknesses and wonder if God can use us, we are thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. Because these are gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit to enable the people of God to complete God's purposes in life. That's the deal. And so the gifts that are given are for the good of the body of Christ. And some of these will come easily to you. Some of them will be areas of passion. Some of them will be areas of strength. And that's fine. It's good and, and satisfying and, 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 and full of joy to do what you love to do. But we should never hold back and say, God, I can't do that. I'm no good at that. Nor should we ever think that our strengths are a particular great help and benefit to God. God will accomplish his purposes. We can participate. You know, when I played hockey with my brother, it didn't really matter if I was any good or not. He'd already paid the rego fee. What were they going to do? Send me back to Australia if I was no good? Ooh. I I just had to have fun. I got to participate. I got to pretend for a moment that I was a real live hockey player. That's all. That was my experience. Participation. Because all of the other stuff had already been paid. And my weaknesses and my strengths on the ice really didn't matter because it was about being together. It was about having some fun, about playing a hockey game. Now, the purposes of God are a little bit more important than hockey. I can't believe I just said that. They're a little bit more important than (laughs) hockey. They're really significant, and we can't do them on our own. But God has invited us to participate and has utterly resourced us. And at the end of the day, if we are to be responsible members of the family of God, we need to remember that at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is about service. Service. 
In chapter 12, the very first couple of verses, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Some of the versions of the Bible that you have might say this is true service or your true act of service because the word that underpins both worship and service is actually the same Greek term. Our first port of call is to serve God and then to serve one another. And service has nothing to do with contentment or joy. It has to do with responsibility. Many of you have jobs, and for many of you, you'll be in some sort of service industry. If you've ever been to a nice restaurant, maybe if you work in a nice restaurant, you know, if I have good service, I don't then go up to the the waiter and say, did you have a good time? Did you enjoy tonight? Because it was great for me. Was it good for you? I don't care. It's their job to serve me and my family. That's their task. They're serving me. I don't, it doesn't matter if they love it. That's not the point. And when we are serving other people, whether we're having a ball or not is really secondary. We're just called to serve. Nobody likes taking the rubbish out, but it has to happen. So do it. It's not a matter of being filled with joy as you take the recycling out or clean out the pool or mow the lawn or wash the car or vacuum the stairs. It's not about contentment. It's about service and responsibility. And we are called to be responsible members of the family of God. Given tasks a little bit different than recycling and rubbish and emptying dishwashers and those sorts of things. But we've been given the same kind of tasks and we're called to serve to offer ourselves to God and then to serve one another. If you take the time to read the different gift lists in the New Testament, you might notice that each of the lists, after they're given, then go on to talk about the importance of love. I find that intriguing, that each time the New Testament authors talk about gifts, talk about the things that we can bring to the body, usually in the context of unity and whatnot, that they end up talking about love. Because I think there's an inherent ability for us to turn the gifts to be all about us. And so time and time and time again, the authors say, yes, you've been given gifts. Yes, the Holy Spirit's at work in you. Love one another. Think about the other. Think about others more highly than you think of yourself. Think of others just more than you think of yourself. Because you're serving God and then you are serving others because you are part of the family of God. So I think that ultimately for us, there are three things that we're called to. Let me just summarize. I think we're called, first of all, to be responsible members of God. And so I want to ask you, are you participating? Are you participating as a family member in the family of God? Are you serving God and are you looking to serve one another? I think it's a pretty critical question. As I mentioned last week, I think as a leadership, we haven't always made this particularly easy. uh, But we're working on it. Uh, On our staff retreat the other week, we had about six hours going through some training material uh, to help resource and enable people to serve more effectively uh, and with more contentment and with more joy than we're currently doing. So we want to make it easier for people to participate, but I want to ask you, are you willing to participate? Or are you just along for the ride? Are you just receiving and not serving in some way, shape, or form? It doesn't have to be teaching Sunday school every week for 50 years. It doesn't have to be being involved in the worship team, particularly if you can't play the piano, right? It doesn't have to do with those sorts of things. But are you participating in the family of God? 
I think secondly then, we have to focus, we're called to focus our hearts and minds on what the Holy Spirit's doing. At the end of the day, the question is not, what is my spiritual gift? But how does the Holy Spirit want to use me to enable my family to complete the purposes of God? Imagine how different it would be if that was our attitude before we came to church on a Sunday evening. If at quarter to six, we said to ourselves, I'm just going to take a minute here and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to church tonight. I want to participate as a member of your family. How do you want to use me tonight? Open my eyes. Soften my heart. Open my ears. Because then the Spirit of God might very well say to you, welcome that person. Forgive that person. Go serve that person. Encourage that person. Whatever it might be. And we become active participants in the family of God serving one another in order that we might be able to do the things that God has called us to. And then finally, we are called to boldly step out in faith. Sometimes we will get the opportunity to serve in areas where we actually feel quite confident. We think, you know what, I've got some ability, I've got some skill, I've practiced hard, I've got some experience, this is great. I love the opportunity to work with kids or work in youth or to play uh, as part of the worship team or to do the coffees or whatever it might be. We just kind of go, I love doing this, I'm passionate about it, that's wonderful. There will be times when the Holy Spirit will say to you, I want you to do something and you go, oh Lord, I think you have the wrong person. Uh, I'm not good at that. And the Holy Spirit says, it's not about you. Which is going to require a little bit of faith. To step out and believe that God will do something miraculous through us. Whether we're good at it or not. So that at the end of the day, ultimately, we might be able to give praise to God for His goodness in our lives. Next week when we continue this series, I want to talk more about service. Because I believe that service is the fundamental practice of disciples, the fundamental practice of people who are following after Jesus. And talk about what that means for us and what that looks like for us as the family of God. But at this point, I'm going to invite Ryan and Larissa to come and continue to lead us in worship tonight. There'll be an opportunity for prayer, as we have done in the last couple of weeks. Uh, The first song we're going to sing reflects on the strength of God. It's an opportunity for us to remember that it is God's strength that makes the difference in our lives. And then I'll come back up and invite you, if you'd like, uh, to, to, to receive prayer as we continue worship together. So will you join me as we pray now? Uh, and uh, Ryan and Larissa will lead us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you've called us not to be great. You haven't called us to be amazing at things. You've called us to be faithful and to participate. You haven't called us to have amazing gifts and to do stupendous things on your behalf. You've called us to be faithful and to participate. And I pray that for each one of us, we might turn our eyes and our hearts to you. And that through your Holy Spirit, you might use what strengths and weaknesses that we have for your purposes and for your glory. We ask that we might be people who seek to serve you and who do not think too highly of ourselves but in fact, look to the good of others. Enable us, we pray, to enable and encourage each other as the family of God that we might be about your purposes in this world. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.